Hello again and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church and me, Pastor Dan from Jasper, Indiana. I have the great blessing of having the help of my daughter Bethany as we study the book of Revelation these days, each week, and uh, dig into it with the purpose of discovering the heart and mind of God in a way that enables our hearts and minds to be in sync with our Lord's. Tall order, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe we can do it. And that is the way we go about it. We're going to do it again today. We will be studying Revelation chapter 5. This is episode 15, episode 15 of the Revelation Bible Study, originally recorded on July 15th, 2018. psalm reading today is Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a mictum of David. A mictum is, uh, as best as scholars can tell, a literary term. Uh, it, it's a, it could be a, a, a word for a poem or a title or a musical phrase, you know, we don't really know for sure. But anyway, a mictum of David psalm 16 keep me safe my god for in you i take refuge i say to the lord you are my lord apart from you i have no good thing i say of the holy people who are in the land they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight those who run after other gods will suffer more and more i will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or Take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at, my, at, even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand.
Oh God, we come to you today as always searching for your leadership and protection and provision. As the psalmist says, we don't want what the rest of the world wants. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to offer libations of blood or sacrifice ourselves to false gods. We want to serve and glorify you. And so, Lord, even as we come together at this time, each with our own lives and its difficulties and blessings, praises and pleas, we are committed to being entirely devoted to you, Lord. We ask your blessing on our study so that we can really glorify you through the living of our lives. Amen. Well, back here in the GHM studio, down in the heart of my basement, next to the air conditioner. So that means on this hot July day, it's running. So we listen to the drone of the air conditioning in the background to give thanks for things like air conditioning. Because, uh, you know, you can die from heat like this sometimes. But anyway, we are studying Revelation. We're ready to get into Chapter 5. We're looking at the... Uh, opening of the scroll and i have a feeling bethany that we're going to be talking about this scroll quite a bit we probably won't get really far but let's see what happens so uh bethany i know you're over there but our listeners don't so you might want to say hi hi <laughs> somehow i thought you might you know say more than hi but anyway i did what you said okay well got to start Hi, someday. everyone. <laughs> so, I... Uh, Out there in the universe. I'm, I'm monkeying with my controls here, trying not to blast our friends' ears out. All right, so this is Revelation 5. We've, we've kind of gotten into the throne room. We've looked around. We've, we've uh, kind of gotten the lay of things. We've, we've seen some sights. And, uh, and now we, we get to something pretty pretty profound and and i was thinking about reading the whole chapter um i think i'm just going to take this first uh basically what i see as a paragraph in my bible but uh chapter five starts with then i saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Well, this is a this is like an amazing scene. This this is difficult to describe, but uh, 
it's it's sort of ironic because uh, we just happen to be talking about uh, the book of Ruth in church today. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're listening to this in current time, then you, you may have been there. But uh, someday down the road, what I'm going to recommend to you is a study of the book of Ruth. It's a vital part of understanding what we're looking at right now. Um, this, is, this is tied to that story in a way that might surprise you. Because that story is all about redemption and the kinsman redeemer. And who really has title to the land. Now, this scroll is significant, and, and I, I owe this to, uh, to my seminary education. I owe this to my personal study. In other words, I couldn't have figured this one out on my own. I learned it from people who are smarter than me. But there's a reason the author is telling us that this scroll had writing on both sides. Mm-hmm. That's significant because that is a title deed. That's, that's a special kind of document. Now, back in those days, documents were written on scrolls, and they were usually made from things like papyrus. And the way that paper was made in those days, you had a rough side mm-hmm. and you had a smooth side. Yep. And all the writing went on the smooth side, and they generally didn't write anything on the rough side. But tradition in those days was that titles... Uh, to land and deeds always had something written on the rough side too. So right there in that simple statement, we're receiving a truth about this document that he's about to open that is really important. Mm -hmm. Also, the reason John is weeping is because it's clear that no one has the authority to claim that title, or so it would seem. See, he's weeping because he knows full well that this is something that only the owner can open. Mm-hmm. No one else can open this. It's only the one who owns it. And in this case, it is the, the deed to the universe. It's like the deed to the future of all creation. Because Now, you and I know that because we've read this before. Some listeners, they know this because they've read it before, that that this is where it's headed as those seals start popping you know the the final moments of earth as we know it are beginning to come down and happen or or this is this is the kind of final resolution of all Mm -hmm. that so when john weeps he's saying there has to be somebody who's got the authority yeah to open that scroll is there something to the seals too um i mean i know like the law of sevens and there's sevens again but um historically opening someone's seal and not having permission to open something with a certain person's seal yeah yeah was a major crime like you you could get in big big trouble for unsealing something that had like a king's seal on it Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for you so the fact that there's seven seals and he's saying no one can open it is that significant as well oh absolutely in fact uh even in the days of moses uh and since then you know uh in ancient times a person a a man usually and a prominent man of, of of position carried around his neck 
a sort of amulet or maybe that's not the right word but a trinket mm -hmm. around his neck that had his personal seal mm -hmm. on it um we see it in later cultures and literature in you know people have a ring mm -hmm. you know signet ring Signets. or something like that and by the way the word sign like to sign a document is spelled s-i-g-n well that's because it really means sign yeah means the signature you're sig yeah you know and so you're right this is this is a case of the scroll you can't open it unless you are the bearer of that signet i mean it's true today too you can get in trouble for opening other people's mail right but it was really significant once upon a time because those seals signif like it was that person's stamp saying only this person can open this and that's why it was wax because if you opened it, it was going to crack in half. Yeah, there's there's no getting around it. Yeah. Well, they still use things like that. You know, like if you look at a truck as you're going down the road, God love the trucks. Personal joke. Uh, as you're driving down the road, you're following a truck. It's not uncommon to see a wire seal on a door mm -hmm. on the back of a truck. And it, it's not obviously thick enough or anything to contain the doors in other words there might be locks all over the doors and everything the seal is there mm -hmm. because the person who put it on is the only one who has authority to take it off it's like those tape seals on the gas pumps now. yeah yeah and so if you see that seal on the doors of a truck what that means is is that no one is to open that and mm -hmm. if they get where they're going and that seal's been opened then then the truck driver and the trucking company is responsible for the contents mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, it's also a good way to know when a truck is full of something like televisions and mm -hmm. expensive stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is expensive, but some things are so easily uh, black marketed and yes. stuff that they put these <laughs> seals on the doors because they know a truck driver could just pull off in the wrong side of town somewhere, open the doors and make a cool bundle and then claim that his truck got robbed overnight. Well. So there's a contract that goes with that seal. Mm -hmm. And the contract says that the driver and the trucking company he works for is responsible for the contents of that mm -hmm. and it being delivered intact. And if something happens to that seal, it doesn't matter if everything's there or not. Mm -hmm. If the seal's broken, you bought it. Yeah. And so it's the same kind of thing here. And, and so the question that John is asking as he's witnessing this is is essentially uh, the God of all creation, the ruler of everything that is, the creator of everything that is, the one true God has written a scroll, sealed it, and now he's extended it and the only person that can take it and open it is the person who has the signature of the father mm -hmm. and who is that that's jesus so this is huge mm -hmm. and 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 i just i don't know if i can really explain it but as i picture this this is like like we talked about this last week too that this is a momentous occasion there's there's no way that you can really adequately express the enormity of what this means this this event he's witnessing in real time and yet he's going to go back to his time and we're here in our time and so we've been given a picture of something that in effect has happened we just haven't arrived mm -hmm. at that destination yet timey-wimey stuff again and and yet it's he's seen this day 
this incredible moment mm -hmm. where the culmination of everything God has in store for creation will now be in in motion yeah and it comes with the breaking of those seals well and i think it's easy to look at the bible and say well yeah revelation's the end of the bible so it's it's the big ending but i think it's it's still really mind-boggling when you start like like you said we're, we're learning about ruth at on sunday morning and it's really mind-boggling because literally literally every single thing that happened in the bible was was reaching out to this moment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty wild when you start thinking about it. Every single thing that happened in the rest of this massive tome mm -hmm. was for this. Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you, and I would just fine-tune it a little and say, from the minute Adam sinned, yeah. right? Yeah. From the moment Adam sinned, this plan went into motion. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and it, it's profound. It, it, there's no words to and describe it. And there are signs it. of this plan throughout. Yep. Which is pretty cool. Like, I looked up to see where else a scroll like this was mentioned in the Bible. And, of course, it's in Daniel. Because mm -hmm. Daniel, um, another book of prophecy. Yep. Um, and it's right there. Like, when you, I don't know, I'll just go find it. Yeah. Um. It's, it's the last chapter of Daniel. Daniel 12, 9 says, He replied, Go on your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. And you can find it, which is just, I don't know. I say it every week, I think, like a broken record. The Bible's really cool, guys. Yeah, it is. And, and it is a, uh, uh, it is a, a kind of, of, I don't know. I I'm always I marvel at people who reject it and resist it, and and not with any arrogance and and not even with pity. I just I just find it perplexing that people can just dismiss it as a bunch of myths and a bunch of of, of jumbled together stories. It just like the Bible's this great big accident that is just a culmination of a bunch of literary efforts by a, you know forty something authors and all. And, and it's like, no, there's too much uh, synchronicity mm -hmm. to it. There's, there's too many ways in which this has a divine origin, and you can't deny it if you'll just really look at it. Mm -hmm. and, and when you realize that these events that are, that are thousands of years apart at times uh, are nevertheless completely in alignment with each other. And... and the message that comes out is a message about God and God's relationship with what God has created. And, and it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of mind boggling. So this seal is, is something I could talk about it, but uh, at, at length, but I suppose it would be better to just go on. And as you said, it's this kind of, of language and this kind of vision is used in Ezekiel one uh, and it's used in Daniel uh, chapter 8, which you pointed out. So well, I pointed out chapter 12. I don't oh, know what chapter, chapter 12. 8 says. Sorry. Let's see. Um, I forgot how long some of those are. Chapter 8. Um... 
Yeah, I'm just reading some uh, commentary myself, <laughs> and, and it's okay. Um, it it may not be describing a particular passage, but a type of uh, literature or type of, of uh, describing of it all. But but the interesting thing is, is that it says, "Don't weep, the lion of the tribe of Judah." The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Well, who is that? The, mm -hmm. the, if, if we're not sure who the lion of the tribe of Judah is, one thing we can be sure of is the root of David is Jesus. That has been established in other mm -hmm. places in Scripture. And so it's not just a nickname. It's a literal description and it's interesting because the Lion of Judah, what the angel is describing to him here is he's giving a picture of the God-man. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, that's a description of God. And the Root of David is a description of the man. And so he's declaring in a simple sentence to, this is what you're always talking about, how much you love the literature, as I do too. Of, of John and of the of Patmos here and and what you find in this revelation is this really simple and succinct statement that says there is somebody who can open this scroll he is both God and man mm -hmm. and he has triumphed well I'm pretty sure we know who that's describing if we're even moderate Christians yeah you know so uh, I've always thought that the description like whether it's in here or in other places in the Bible, the description of the root of David, the root of Jesse, I've always thought, I've always found that a fascinating description because when you think about like genealogy, you kind of expect maybe seed or shoot or like oh, a word describing something young coming later mm -hmm. to be used to describe it, but they use the word root, yeah, which makes you think more ancestral than yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Well, okay, so we've been talking cool. Ruth at church on Sundays. Um, it just so happens that Ruth's offspring mm -hmm. with Boaz is a fellow named Obed, mm -hmm. and that would be David's grandpa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of amazing. So yeah. this, this wonderful marriage between Ruth and Boaz, who are images of the redeeming Christ that's being described in the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. actually produced... His bloodline, or actually continued the bloodline. Bloodline, and by the way, uh, just as a side, uh, just as a aside, um, you know who Boaz's mom was? I do, and it's not Rahab. Yeah, I did know that. So Boaz is this prominent Israelite who's like like the super dude. You know, he's just really great, and it turns out his mom is Rahab the prostitute who was awesome who turns out to be really awesome and so that you know the, the the typical reader looks at her and says oh yeah so she was this prostitute and but she she did the right thing da 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 and in reality this is more truth in this than I can even begin to express when we're supposed to be talking about revelation but I preached this last week and I could preach this every day bible is look the bible tells us that god is looking at your character that God doesn't care how much money you give. God doesn't care what family you were born into. God doesn't care uh, whether you're Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Baptist or a Catholic. He doesn't care about any of that. What he wants to know is, is what kind of person are you? And your worth has everything to do in God's eyes with how you perceive God. 
And for the person who really reveres God, honors God, and believes in God's almighty power, that person could be a Rahab the prostitute, could be a Moabite widow named Ruth, uh, a, a goofball like David who was really awesome in some ways and a real knucklehead in others, and yet they all have something in common. Yeah. They love God, they trust God, and they believe in God's almighty power and grace. Well, and you start to really see that it wasn't just, I mean, it was. there was a lot more to who God picked to raise his son, too. Yeah. Genealogically. Like, yeah, I mean, his whole bloodline is, is made up of people who remarkable people. aren't necessarily the most uh, exemplary right. human beings. But they have these unique spiritual qualities that are all about their relationship with God. Right. And that is what you can't miss. That's why I think it's so important for people to remember that, uh, you know, your church, your religion, your name, all that kind of stuff, your good works, your kind deeds, all of those are, are nice things. And they're important in a way if they reflect the content of your heart as being devoted to the Lord. Mm -hmm. If you're a person who is always devoted to the Lord first and, and you know, then God's going to see that and God's going to make you the mother or father of something created by God. And it won't be because of your worthiness. The mm -hmm. wise men didn't find Jesus in the castle or in the palace. They found Jesus in a stable. You know, uh, anyway, well, or maybe a house. That's oh, wait, when we do Christmas, we can talk about that. Oh, Dan, Pause. you're going off on a tangent here. Yeah, well. Yeah, anyway. Well, why don't you read the next paragraph, which is chapter six or chapter five, verses six through uh, what, nine? I guess you might as well read their song. So that goes to 10. And then uh, we'll see what we get with that. Okay. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Wow. So then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living uh, creatures and the elders. So there's been a lot of talk in my lifetime anyway about why John uses this language describing him as a lamb and all that. I mean, do we literally see a, uh, did, did John see a lamb? You know, I mean, was this a lamb or was this uh, a metaphor? Well, I don't want to say metaphor, you know, because we've already talked about his impression of the elders, for example, and the four creatures. Mm -hmm. And we decided that in all likelihood he was looking at sevently, heavenly armor or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and, and so in order to be consistent, we have to look at this impression that he gets of the one he calls the lamb. 
uh, and and assume that he didn't switch gears. Like one minute he's talking metaphorically, and the next minute he's he's trying to describe what he sees. And so, why does he call Jesus? Well, we know it's Jesus because that's that's the imagery that we're given. But why does he describe what he's seeing as a lamb? Um, probably we have to go into some sort of word study of the use of the word lamb. Um, I don't know. What are you thinking about that? Well, I was trying to... I was looking to see if back through the Gospels, just looking like John was one of his apostles. Mm -hmm. John heard him talk about himself. And I was trying to, I was thinking there had to be somewhere in there where he calls himself a lamb. Well, of course, the most notable example is when John the Baptist. Right. Who, in the presence of John. Right. And and, uh, his brother. No, yeah, Peter's brother. Yeah. Anyway, he Jesus approaches John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, so in this instance, he's referring to the Lamb of God. Now, I, I will say this. Um, it is a Jewish tradition that is as ancient as Judaism itself that is still honored by most Jews even to this day, to not actually speak or write the name of God. They, they would write God by writing G space D. They just, that way they're not actually writing the complete name of God. Or, and, and that's because even if you anglicize it and change it to God, G-O-D, capital G-O-D, you're still trying to say in English the name of God, which is Yahweh. And, and uh so I guess what I'm trying to say is, is there's another way you could look at this, and that would be that John, who is definitely, he's weeping for goodness sake. Right. So he's, he's witnessing a truly holy moment. Well, I was just thinking, like, I like what you're saying about not actually using his name. And, that, and what I was getting at was that John would have known that that was a word for him, a word to use to describe him. And... Because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I could be totally wrong, but John has seen Jesus in his resurrection form, uh-huh. and I'm thinking that if he enters the room, John knows, John recognizes him, because John no. recognized him when he first came to him on Patmos. So if he comes in the room, I think he knows it's him. Yeah. And and maybe he's saying, he's using like what you said. He's describing him in a different way because it's. Uh, like what, the Jewish kind tradition. of a reverence, yeah, a reverence. And well, he says, then I saw a lamb, comma, looking as if it had been slain. Um, you know, if you go to my mother's house and you look, there's a there's a very old painting on the wall of a lamb laying slain on an altar. It's uh, my parents were raised in the Catholic tradition, and this is a Catholic. Uh, work of art in a sense that it's you know created by people who practice in the catholic tradition but this picture is is showing you exactly what we're seeing here and so i guess a way to look at it another way you could look at it would be now uh, c.s lewis forgive me but it's a little bit like the slain aslan you know um 
he's slain in a sense, but he, he rises, you know, and uh, and so this lamb is not a. Uh, 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 I I don't know. I don't want to get stuck on this, but it looks to me like like that's what John saw, mm-hmm. and and it could be that what he's seeing is some sort of visual uh, thing that's going on. And we have to remember where we are. We are in the throne room of God. We are outside of time and space. We're in a place where all the sounds and sights are amplified to the the extent that John finds them overwhelming. Um, He sees things that seem familiar to him, but he doesn't know how to describe them. Mm -hmm. And so what he seems to be seeing is a lamb looking slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out onto the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So what we're seeing is truly mystical. And I guess what I'm trying to get at here is is that I can't come up with an answer for this. I don't think that it would be right to see, you know, something sort of comical and cartoony like a lamb, you know, standing upright and acting like a human being on the other hand um it is the ultimate symbol and and in itself a culmination of all the biblical history because it was the perfect unblemished lamb that was sacrificed for people's sins it was an act of atonement to sacrifice this lamb and jesus is the atonement um for our sins and Mm -hmm. and i love the way that the word atonement is interpreted by some scholars to say if you take the word atonement and imagine that it says at one meant it's a much better way to interpret the meaning of the word in the scriptural sense because what it means is that that through him we've been made one with god again you Mm -hmm. know we've been united with god or he is united with god in this act so he's he's this this is a picture of atonement this is a picture of the complete, like sometimes when I'm preaching to people, I say, if I were, if I were going to describe this one way, I would say, look, this is the ultimate final sacrifice for sin. The people went for, for you know, millennia, basically, worshiping in the temples or at the altars, in the tabernacle, places like that, by sacrificing animals for their sins. Animals of great value and great innocence whose shed blood pays the price for the sin. And uh, now all of a sudden we see in this, because of the fact that it happens in front of the feet of God, as it, and it happens with uh, the heavenly host and the elders and all of the, you know, it, it is happening in this moment of the scroll that is the culmination of all biblical. So I get the feeling what he's seeing is something that is both literally and mystically a representation of the final culmination of all sacrifice for all time Mm -hmm. um you know it and one way you could look at it is is that that we have the benefit right now of salvation through christ 
simply by the asking, simply by seeking the relationship with him that comes through the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the benefits we have, but it doesn't change the fact that our lives are still troubled by sin in all sorts of ways. This looks like a moment of huge significance to the believers on earth now, because this looks like the moment when the whole process of Jesus atoning for our sins is completed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what's being described here. So another way you can look at it is is this is Jesus standing there wounded. Uh, Well, he had... He had his wounds even in his resurrection body. I mean, that was something that was significant in the Gospels. And that's what he told Thomas. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe it actually is a lamb, but I think it could also be him with all of those wounds that he had in his resurrection body, and maybe they just, you know, look a little pressure yeah and and so pulling back again and and looking at this whole chapter so far so god has this scroll that is going to uh upon its opening is going to be you know like god's final plan for earth as we know it for creation as we know it and he's got this scroll and he's about to hand it he's sort of let you know his hand he's reaching out with it and John weeps because he can't imagine who could possibly be able to open this scroll. And yet Jesus is worthy, or the Lamb is worthy. He comes up, and now he's being described in every way that makes him worthy. So the descriptions of him are describing the thing that causes his worthiness to be yeah. a reality. And then all of heaven says, you are worthy to take the scroll." And to open the seals. This is, again, like the mom, the most momentous occasion of all time or whatever. I, I How do you describe something that's happening outside of space and time? This is the most momentous occasion. It almost occasion. makes you think of like a coronation or something, at least me. Because, well, I was just sitting here thinking, John's weeping because there's no one to be found that can open the scroll. He knows Jesus, though. Yeah. Like, he knows Jesus is worthy. The four living creatures and the elders know Jesus is worthy, and yet they're still, like, when he actually walks in the room, it's like a party. They're so excited because he's the guy, and it's almost like, yeah, that that, that prince that everybody knew about that was great, now's the moment of the court. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Like, you know, you know about him, and you know he's the one, but then, I don't know. Well, That's what it makes me think of. And so... Just to round out the chapter, then I heard, verse 11, the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I just get cold chills picturing this. This There's is There's more sevens too. The, yeah. Power, yeah. wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. Oh my gosh. It never ends. Nope. <laughs> I mean, this is this is some like I I I don't even know what to say. It's incredible. I know this chapter is kind of hard for me because it's just like overwhelming. Yeah. It's a description of something that well, should be overwhelming. Yeah. What else could it be? Yeah. You know, it's I this is amazing. And you know, I guess I guess the comment I would make about that at this point is and then then why do so many Christians so-called embrace this story in a way that's sort of negative and scary and they're trying to make it a I mean this is this is this is magnificent well to be blunt I think a lot of Christians haven't read it yeah they're they're and that's not totally fair I guess but what I mean is like a lot of people haven't actually delved into the word they've just heard it from the pulpit and present company excluded some people from the pulpit aren't telling you everything like it is. Yeah. They there there are some preachers out there who don't <laughs> teach from the Bible, which is scary. And they tend to teach even those who do because I've heard a few of them there are those who teach it uh and but they teach they they, they make it say what they want it to say. Yes. I mean it, it really and I I'm, I'm not holding myself up as an example at all. I I just think that there is nothing that requires more humility than teaching and interpreting scripture. That's what I was just about to say, is that I think that the problem with, for some people is that it becomes about, it's their show. Right. And they want it to be big and well, scary. Pe- people and, want and you want people to respect what you're saying, so you say things that are maybe not, I don't know. Well, but I think th- if you just take the Bible as it is... As we're going to find out, and and I'm going to take this, uh, I'm not trying to close this off, but I think we're, once again, it's funny how we usually can tell, Yeah. and then I'll check the clock, and sure enough, we're about there, (laughs) but next week, we're going to have to talk about something called the Harpazo, or the Rapture, because I'm in the camp that says that God withdraws his people from this culminating terrifying horrible time me too but mostly just because i don't i'm really hoping i'm not here for it <laughs> yeah because you'd like it to be true i want it to well, be well <laughs> hopefully together we will see how it probably is true that it starts that because here's the thing if jesus starts cracking those seals open and we're not out of the picture yet then there are some things we're going to have to figure out so what we're going to look at with the Harpazo is, is how it's probably the case that the church is withdrawn from all of this before he starts opening seals. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of big stuff to look at next week. And honestly, we're going to have to do more homework than usual yes. <laughs> in order to do this justice. But the interesting thing is, is that what we were really describing is people who are more obsessed with the time that the church is probably going to miss and so you know that whole left behind series was about the time after the church is pulled out yeah and it was very very popular and mostly with christians Mm -hmm. and so i'm kind of thinking okay 
<sighs> how is it that Christians are more interested in the time of tribulation than they are in the time of deliverance? Now, I don't mean disrespect to the Christians, you know, because I read the series. Me too. And I just, um, I just couldn't help it. I just wanted to see where they went mm -hmm. with it. And and to me, the most redeeming quality of this the series was that it gave you a way to imagine uh, sort of the acts of the apostles happening during contemporary mm -hmm. times. I mean, that's kind of how I looked at it. And I thought, well, now if I were Tim LaHaye and uh, Jerry Jenkins, I guess when I'm writing this, I would draw on the Bible stories and the anecdotal stuff from church history and just imagine it in our times because... Yeah. Because a uh, a remnant church that is uh, uh, hiding and, and dispersed, you know, it's going to be the same dynamics, you know. They're going to be op oppressed and so forth. Well, I think the other thing that I appreciated, because they came out when I was a kid, so I actually read the kids series yeah. that they had. But the thing that I liked about it was that it kept reinforcing the idea that with God, it's never too late for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff was going on, and the whole point of the series was that, yeah, these people didn't make it in the first round. Yeah. But there was still a chance for every single person that was left on Earth. And yeah. that is the God that I like a lot. The so, God that I think is the real God. From an evangelistic standpoint, and as a pastor, I want to say to you, if you're listening, and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, if you don't believe for sure that he is the son of God who has created through his love actions the atonement that wipes away our sin in God's sight if you don't believe he sent the Holy Spirit to give you new life and new birth then what we're about to study over the next several weeks should terrify you it really should if on the other hand you are a born-again believer who has accepted Christ as your Savior, who has allowed the Holy Spirit to give you new birth and new life in Christ. At whatever stage of sanctification you find yourself, you don't need to be afraid. This is the worthy Lamb who is about to make good on the promise that we most desire, which is deliverance from tribulation and judgment and you know, it doesn't mean we're not going to have hard times and we're not going to suffer. People suffer all the time. But everything terrible that's ever happened in human history is going to pale compared to what will happen as those seals start opening. And so my word to you is, is if you're sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, born again and growing every day in the Holy Spirit, then this is good news for you. And this is exciting. And if you're not so sure, well, don't be afraid. Simply understand that if you have been undecided at the time that this, this terrible tribulation comes, I can't promise you that you're going to escape it. But I can promise you that God will be faithful and forgiving and gracious to you till the very end. And this is what this book we're going to read further over the next weeks and months is trying to tell you and once all that bad stuff's over it's gonna be amazing yep it's 
going to be so wonderful. You're looking forward to having a pet dinosaur, I know. <laughs> and that's okay. So, uh, all right, also folks. Also Jesus, but, you know. Yeah, there's this whole, like, hanging out with Jesus. You know. You know going to visit God. You I know. admit that he probably tops dinosaurs. Yeah, it's true. So... And we're just joking, folks. But, but, you know, we can have a light heart if we really view the gospel as good news. And I just hate it when I hear Christians, people who claim to be the followers of Christ, moaning and groaning, uh, complaining about other Christians. I mean, there are just so many silly, ungodly things that people do, mm-hmm. given the fact that they have been born again by the Holy Spirit and have been the beneficiaries of the greatest good news that has ever occurred period well and just to bring it back to this chapter i don't know how you can read this chapter and have a negative outlook yeah because this chapter is so beautiful it's my favorite chapter so far Uh, it's beautiful it makes me want to cry too it's magnificent and it it is incredible well all right beth uh you know i i wish i was a really clever um you know audio engineer because it feels like right now we should hear some really grand music <laughs> as we fade out our conversation there should just be this you know hallelujah chorus you know, i could pull that off i could pull that off so uh got anything else you need to tell our friends that was it. All right, babe. Well, thank you again, as always, for making these better because you are you are such a blessing, and you know you've got your fan club out there. <laughs> and uh, folks, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll have a little closing remark here in a minute, but that's all for now. Well, that's all for now, and I hope that you've been blessed as always. We earnestly desire to honor God and to bless you by uh, presenting you with God's Word. If you live near Jasper, Indiana, please stop by Shiloh United Methodist Church and say hello. Remember that you can learn more about us by visiting our website, shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-U-M dot O-R-G. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. Remember, too, that by clicking on the link in this description uh, for this podcast, you can visit our Facebook group. And I'll be glad to invite you to join the conversation where we talk about the rest of the uh, through this, uh, talk about all of this through the rest of the week. But uh, we sure hope that we can continue the conversation. We love you and I wish you God's best. Goodbye.